are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, my home base. As you know, if you've been listening for a while, you know that I'm obsessed with the world of work and how people meaningfully connect to it. So my mission is to bring you people of all ages and backgrounds across all kinds of professions so we can learn from them and be inspired by their stories and maybe even be a little entertained, which is what I think we're in for this week. So my guest this week is Dottie Griffith, and she is the queen of Texas cuisine. Thank you very much. She is also an author and speaker based here in Dallas, Texas, and I have her right here with me. She is the author of nine cookbooks, most about Texas-style cuisine, and is the editor of Dean Fearing's The Mansion on Turtle Creek Cookbook. She also enjoyed a 34-year career as a restaurant food critic. What a wild and crazy ride this must have been for you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So glad to have you with us, Dottie. I have much I want to learn from you, but just first, I know that you've done all kinds of things, but let's just first ground us into today. What are you up to these days? Well, I am doing several things. I am actually co-authoring cookbooks with two different chefs, one Kent Rathbun here in Dallas, the chef of Abacus and Jaspers in Hickory, and he also has locations in in Houston and Austin. And then I'm co-authoring with Sylvia Casares, who's a chef in Houston. She's the enchilada queen. Oh, enchilada <laughs> queen meets queen of Texas cuisine for the enchilada queen cookbook. And then I'm going to be teaching this fall at University of North Texas, a culinary journalism class. Wow. At first, I have to say, being somebody from the Northwest, I grew up in Oregon, I love your accent. Accent? What accent? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the one who has one. You do. That's for sure. Um, all right, so first I have to ask, how did these cookbooks come into be? I mean, you were wandering along, singing a song on the sidewalk, and somebody said, hey, you got to write this with me. What happened? Almost. Okay. Almost. Um, many years ago, the very first one, I was the food editor at the Dallas Morning News at the time, and the food editor is the person who uh, gets most of the cookbooks that are sent in for consideration for review. Mm-hmm. Uh, hence, I was the person at the newspaper that this particular publisher's representative knew, and she called and said, we're really looking for somebody that could do a chili cookbook. Do you know anybody? And, of course, I said, well, sure, me. (laughs) Pick me. (laughs) Never done a cookbook, had no idea. Um, But I I did the first one, and it went pretty well, and so I've been doing them ever since. Okay, I have to investigate that just a little bit because a lot of people out there, and perhaps even myself included, We're not the first one to stick up our hand if we haven't done something. Sure, pick me. What made you say, yeah, I can do that, when you hadn't done it before? Well, I knew I loved the subject because I've always been just, you know, in love with Texas cuisine and Texas history and Texas lore. So I knew that I had the background. And at that time, especially, there was a lot going on with the dueling uh, chili cook-offs in Terlingua. There was two dueling organizations. So it it was a lot of news. It was something I was writing about a lot anyway. And it just made sense. And, you know, when you hear, when you get an offer 
like that, even though it's an indirect offer, you know if it's right, you've just got to take it. Yeah. I mean, I knew I could do it. I'd read a bunch of cookbooks, obviously, doing what I was doing as the food editor, wrote about food every day. I, I, I knew this was something I could and wanted to do. Wow. And was it as much fun as you hoped it would be? Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> That's my girl telling the truth. Well, I, uh, my son was very young at the time. He was like four, and he's still, not nightmares, but he will still tell you about waking up to like three different kinds of chili cooking on the stove before he got up to go to preschool. And, go, and she made that one with chocolate in it. <laughs> He's still traumatized by that. But Oh, that's awesome. Well, I, I'm glad you shared that because I think that for since the show is about work, how people, how people experience it, get into it, I love that you share that entree because that's important. Those new steps are really important. Uh, and speaking of that, I know you have this long career at the school. Yes, I have a Bachelor of Journalism degree from the University of Texas and went to work at the Dallas Morning News straight out of college, which doesn't happen very much mm -hmm. anymore, mm -hmm. um, just because the field is so much more crowded and, and you can imagine. Um, I, you know, like everybody of my generation in journalism, you know, Woodward and Bernstein were the, the idols. Um, actually covered a lot of news when I first started at the at the paper and was covering politics and was going to get married and thinking, you know, I might not want to travel quite as much. And um, one day they asked me, because I was always the one that was bringing food in on the weekends when mm. we all had to, mm. you know, work overtime or on elections or whatever. And they said, the, the food editor is moving on. Would you consider it? And at first I was a little bit insulted because, you know, how do you go from being the food, you know, go from being the next Woodward and Bernstein to being a food editor. <laughs> but I, <laughs> but I, I had to think, you know, what makes me really happy? I mean, this is kind of like something that I've been wanting, but I didn't know exactly the manifestation that it was going to take. And here it is. So jump on it. And that's what I did. And it was at a time when they really wanted a lot more serious reporting and writing in the food section. It was when food sections were first coming out of the days when they were just collections of recipes. Mm -hmm. So I had the great good fortune to have an opportunity to come by me grab it and, and go for all it was worth, which I think is sort of, will be the message that we take away from today in terms of career. I'm not one of those people that has gone out and made my opportunities. I'm the kind of person who recognizes that as an opportunity when it floats by. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking the same thing in both instances when you said about the chili cookbook and then this job or this change toward the, the food critic piece. So you had the good sense to know that that's for me. That's, and not everybody does. Some of us are like, I missed that. It went, went by too quickly. I missed it. But you have a unique ability to capture it. Well, and of course, my, my standard you know, thing now is, well, more people eat than vote, so I knew I'd have more readers. <laughs> oh, you've got to say that again. More, <laughs> more people, people eat than vote. vote. Oh, my gosh. That's hysterical. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's called job security, isn't yes. it? Yes. <laughs> Okay, so I know you got focused on food, and then was it just natural to become the food editor and then the restaurant critic piece? Or? Well, not really. Um, I was the food editor for like 16 years, 
And then when a feature editor recruited me to do to be a feature editor for a few years, which I really enjoyed, really liked, and, and had a real concentration in graphics and, and things like that during that tenure. And then the then restaurant critic was leaving, and I thought, you know, it'd be really great to get back into food. And so I did go after that job okay. and was lucky enough to get it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, so what did you love about that job, and how long did you actually do it? I was the restaurant critic for about 10 years, Okay, and um, I loved it. I, to me, the being the food editor, food editor before was great training because, as I said, I'm a journalism graduate. I wasn't trained in culinary. I'm not a chef. So all those years being food editor, I was really a sponge for everything that that crossed my desk about technique, how to do it, how it should be, how to taste. I was fortunate enough to do a fair amount of traveling that. So I got during that time, both internationally and uh, within Texas and the United States. So I got to taste a lot of different kind of cuisines and, and have a benchmark for what it should be like. And I was really one of those food editors who tested a lot of recipes. So I really learned to cook a lot of things. I may not have been able to do it as well as maybe a chef who did it all the time, but at least I had some great in the technique and what that dough might should feel like, what this should the texture should be, the flavor should be, the aroma should be. So I really was, I guess, an autodidact in food mm, in a way. Interesting. Self-taught, but I, I feel like I had a really great foundation for it when I really got to the point where then I was evaluating others cooking. Okay, so you said you were a restaurant critic, right? Mm-hmm. That's the that's the title. So what I want to understand is, does that mean that you were evaluating everything apart about the experience, the service, the the way the restaurant looked and felt, or was it just oh, the yeah. food? No, I it was the whole the whole experience, whole experience okay. you know, including the wine list, the service, oh, okay, everything. But I think most of us tend to concentrate mostly on the food, mm-hmm. which is. It's it's the most fun to write about, unless you just have a horrible experience about something else, and then you can get real snarky. But the food is the, the richest imagery you can get into, taste, smell, feel. So from a writer's standpoint, the food is, is where you tend to focus. I think that's ironic in a way because what can spoil an experience for a customer most yeah. often, is not the food, but the experience, yeah. the service. Yeah. I mean, you can go in, and if you're treated extremely well, you can forgive a bad dish. Mm-hmm. But if you have a bad dish, and you point it out, and you're not treated nicely, yeah. you don't ever want to go back mm-hmm. there again. Mm-hmm. If you make a reservation and you're made to wait for a long time, the meal, if you choose to wait for it, might be great, but you're still not going to be very favorably disposed to go back to that place again. So mm-hmm. service is so often, I think, the make or break deal for a customer. For a restaurant critic, we focus on the food. It's mm-hmm. more fun to write about. Mm-hmm. I get that. Now, as somebody who is really an anthropologist in many ways, right, I study people. I'm very focused, hyper-focused on the service, my my server, and, and any interactions that I have with the staff. And you're absolutely right. I can, if it's an okay meal, I, I will think it's probably even better because I had great interaction with the, with the staff. But I am hyper-focused on that mm-hmm. because I'm weird like that. 
Well, I think most of us are. Um, where you're you're in in a space that isn't your own. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the whole objective of the people working there should be to make you feel welcome, make you feel comfortable. Uh, for them, the food is not the major part of it. Right. They really need to balance that whole experience, the whole ambiance thing with the food. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think some, some places may forget. Mm-hmm. I always really appreciate it when the server can really help me understand a little bit more about the history of the restaurant. What's the special tonight? Why is it so precious? What's a great wine pairing? I really like that. I appreciate that. Well, you can really tell the restaurants where the management invests in, in the staff training. Mm-hmm. Uh, when ser- servers are knowledgeable, they can answer your questions, or they know how to say, I don't know, but I can find out for yes, you. Yes, yes. And you can, you can tell when they've been schooled to treat the customer as always right. I, you know, I know it's trite, but the customer, especially in a service industry, has to be right. Mm-hmm. You have to find a way for the customer to win. I have to tell you a very fast story along those lines, really quick, Dottie. So years ago when I was waiting tables to get through college, I was waiting in Portland, Oregon, and a, a customer came up and said he wanted all these extra things on his pancakes. And I was like, great, happy to do it for you. There'll be an extra cost of this. And he said, no, there won't. There wasn't yet one yesterday. And I lost it and launched into this big thing about, you don't get something for nothing in this life, and blah, 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 blah. And I went through and just read him the riot act. And I finished, and he said, could you send out the manager, please? (laughs) (laughs) So the poor manager had to listen to this guy complain about me. So... I, for that one day, was not of the opinion that the customer should always be right. And, and I, I sympathize with servers and chefs who have to put up with, you know, cranky, uninformed, entitled people. Because, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody that walks in a restaurant is nice either. Isn't that the truth? At the same time, every, every Every meal you serve is a performance, mm-hmm. and the people, everybody involved in that performance, from the back of the house with the chefs to the front of the house, has to get it right, yeah. or you have disappointed a customer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, complaints like that, you know, you may see one complaint now on Thanks to Yelp and things like that, you see a lot of it. Right. And it's much easier for uh, smart proprietors to address it. But used to, they just went away disgruntled and told everybody that Mm -hmm. they know. Which might be a small crowd. In this case, they can launch large. It is, but at least you can see it Mm -hmm. and you can address it in some way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, there, there are whole businesses built now around helping businesses monitor their Yelp, their social media Mm -hmm. image, and and what to do about it. And the feedback that comes with that. So, okay, well, before we go on break, we've got a little bit more time before break, and I really have to know how you earned the title of Queen of Texas Cuisine. And if, in fact, you really are a native Texan, I think you are based on that accent. Yes, I am. Okay, (laughs) but, okay, so how would you get this title? Well, it is very informal, let me tell you. Some friends of mine who have watched my career and said, you know, you really are the queen of Texas cuisine. So I said, I'll take it. Just give me that crown. I'm wearing it now. Um, (laughs) There's never been a coronation, unfortunately. Oh, we'll have to fix that. Well, we'll, we can fix that. So, But, you know, I've been writing about Texas cuisine for so long that I do think I have some 
some authority in the field, and I I, uh, have a piece in not the, well, I guess it's the 2016 um, Almanac coming up about sort of the history of Texas cuisine and the Texas Almanac. So maybe that makes me the queen of Texas cuisine. Okay. And, you know, the premise with that is that there are actually five states of cuisine in Texas, Mm. five main influences. I didn't know that. What are they? Well, we've got, of course, Hispanic. Uh-huh. We've got uh, the French influence from Louisiana and okay. the French settlers. Mm-hmm. We've got, of course, the Deep South because that abuts Texas. Right. We've got the huge ranch and uh, ranching influence okay. of the, the grasslands yep. and then the big cattle. And what have I left out? German. No, oh, German. There's such a huge German influence in Texas. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's something that, that you've taught me completely. No charge, I hope, for that. No. That was fantastic. And how long have you enjoyed having this title, do you suppose? The Queen of Texas Cuisine. Oh, I couldn't even tell. I mean, you know, it's just kind of been there. It's been ages. All right. Well, uh, it's time for us to go f- to our first break here. I have been on the air with Dottie Griffith, who is an author and speaker here in Dallas, Texas, and also, as we've been saying, the Queen of Texas Cuisine. I am Elise Cortez, your host. Stay with us. After the break, I want to ask her to share some fun stories about her experience of being a restaurant critic. Stay tuned. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, 
at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. If you're just tuning in, we're here with Dottie Griffith, who is an author and speaker here in Dallas, Texas, and also enjoys the title of Queen of Texas Cuisine. We both giggle when when I say that, but it's really great gobs of fun to have a title like that. (laughs) Uh, I'm Elise Cortez, your host, and I want to pick up where we left off. Before the break, we were talking about how she got into her career, and she had the great insight and wisdom to be able to take opportunities as they came to her, and she made them work for her. Now what I want to do is I want to hear, Dottie, about any fun stories you can tell about your experience as a restaurant critic. I'm sure you have a ton, so we want just the fun ones. (laughs) Well, I remember one of the most surprising, as a restaurant critic, you, you try to have some anonymity. Although I had worked in this market for many years before I was the restaurant critic, so short of you know, a full witness protection, facelift, makeover. <laughs> I probably was not going to be able to, to, to disguise myself too well. Although I did it try to wear wigs sometimes. And really? How makeup. fun? I wondered. Well, and, you know, I, whenever I'd wear the red one, I'd go, I know somebody's looking at me and going, Dottie really looks horrible in a red wig. <laughs> that is not, not her color. color. <laughs> that is not her color. Uh, so I, but... And I could always pretty much tell once I'd been recognized. I, I made reservations under somebody else's name, usually somebody who was going to be dining with me. And a lot of times we could maybe order the first thing or, or at least get seated, and then, you know, things would change. And I could tell that we'd been made. <laughs> how did well, you know? How, how would you well, tell? Well, you just suddenly... It was like everything cleared around you. It was almost like they'd move the people at the tables next to you, or they'd start ignoring them, which was even worse. Oh, no. I mean, you just, there would just be a flutter of, of <laughs> you know, tension around the table. And, you know, everybody was smiling more than ever. And, and, they, and a lot of times, some of the servers would be nervous. Although I, you know, finally figured out it was the servers who usually recognized me because servers. There's so, you know, they, they move so much all over yes. town. They're the one constant. And they're out there on the floor. They recognize people. Sure. And good servers do that. But anyway, I was at this one very good but small, relatively small Asian restaurant. But I'd heard good things about the food, but it certainly didn't seem I thought was going to be the most sophisticated in terms of service place that I'd ever been to. And we went and we had a perfectly nice meal. And uh, when we're leaving, the, the lady who was obviously the owner, but who also worked the, the front desk, the, the hostess stand, as we're leaving, she comes up and she says, oh, you look so much like your picture. Oh, no. <laughs> and I looked and there, there, somehow she had found a picture of me and it was sitting right under there on that hostess stand. <laughs> no. So, I mean, if there's one place in Dallas that I thought I would never be recognized, right. that was it. Made. Oh my gosh! Now, when you go into the when you were when you were reviewing, then how, did you go in with somebody, another person? Usually, oh yes, I usually Always. took at least one or two people, and I okay. liked to take three. It's it's real easy to manage a table of four. Sometimes there were five or six, and that was real hard to manage because you know the the basic rules were nobody can order the same thing. If somebody doesn't order something that I think needs to be ordered, then you can order oh, that. Interesting. And, and, you know, we'll all trade 
taste and whatever. If you don't want to trade taste with me, you shouldn't go. Um, but that doesn't even look so strange anymore as it used to. I mean, now everybody, you know, trades plates and shares. Yes. So, um, but, yeah, that was that was one of the ways that I tried to forestall recognition as long as possible. Even if I made the reservation, I would make it under somebody else's name. And I will say what my predecessor... <laughs> Waltrina Stovall, who was great fun and a great friend, she loved to make reservations as, uh, you know, Dottie Donner. For you or for her? For her, um, for herself, not necessarily using my name. She didn't use her own first name, Waltrina, because that's so distinctive. But she just, she lived for the time when somebody could say, Donner, party of four, as in the Donner party... (laughs) Remember the, the 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 sad cannibal situation <laughs> on the frontier in the high Sierras, oh, no, Donner no, Party no. of Four. She just loved it when she it would a, happen. She had a warped sense of humor. Uh-huh. She was great. Uh-huh. Uh, so when you, your guest, I'm curious to know how do you do? How do you select them? You're just they're wandering down the street, minding their own business, and you clap them on the back. Well, or? it usually was somebody I knew. Sometimes from the paper, sometimes just a friend, sometimes you know, and. You think, oh, gosh, that'd be great. Well, let me tell you, you can wear people out. Sure. I mean, not everybody really wants to go. I mean, I was going out. During that time, I was probably eating out five nights a week. Oh, my gosh, really? You know, so I'd take my kids sometimes, and they'd get sick of it, or they'd have, like, homework or something to do. Um, So, yeah, you just... Sometimes you were really scrambling to find somebody that was available, you know, even if they hadn't eaten with you three nights in a row, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it is a great job. I do not want to sound whiny and go, oh, it was so hard. But the, the tough part of it is, and, and I think that's with any job that people think is a dream job, whether you're writing about sports or or doing anything that sounds fun, you know, running a restaurant. I love to cook. I want to have my own restaurant. Maybe you don't because it makes work out of what has formerly been fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I was very lucky to be writing about food, still do write about food, but the, the, there is some shelf life to being a food critic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, were you assigned the restaurants? Did you pick the restaurants? Oh, I usually, set my own schedule in that. At one point, we would have several reviewers working, and I usually managed their schedules as well as mine. Okay. Um, mainly because I, I felt like I knew the new restaurants that were coming online. That was my job. That was my okay. job to understand what should be reviewed and when it should be reviewed. And if there was a restaurant that where there'd been a change of chef, I was supposed to know that and know that it was time to go back. Or just been a long time. Okay. That was that was part of my responsibility. That's I guess what we call in the business news judgment. I was going to say you really had the scoop then. Mm-hmm. Okay, so other fun stories, other fun things that you think would be fun to share with us about that experience. Well, I do remember, and this was on a a food journalist trip. We were in the Northwest, probably in Oregon or Washington State, and we were eating uh, just having a great dinner at a at a restaurant and enjoying lots of very strange um, West Coast seafood. And 
they announced that this next course was going to be sea urchin soup. Oh, nice. Hmm. And so they brought out to everybody's place uh, this big shell of sea urchin, which had a hole in the top and kind of looked like a bowl. And it was on a bed of uh, ice. I mean, not ice. I'm sorry, salt. Rock salt. Okay. And then they came in, the, you know, they had the, fur, the service where the guy pours the soup into your bowl. Okay. And oh, so he no. poured the bowl, the soup, into the uh, sea urchin thing. And, of course, it was a live sea urchin. <laughs> and the, the, <laughs> the shell starts, starts to dance on that rock salt. No. And, you know, I have never seen everybody jump up out of <laughs> their seats as fast as, especially those of us from land-loving no doubt. Territories. We had no idea what was going to happen, but it was great fun. Oh my gosh! So is that is it supposed to be like that, where the thing well, is alive? That's the way sea urchin is consumed. Oh my gosh! It's kind of like an oyster. Well, you know, if I was in his position, I would run off the plate too. I, you know, I mean, it's kind of like those those uh, lobsters that try to crawl out of a pot. <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah. That is hysterical. Now, where was that? You said Oregon or Washington? Yeah, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't remember, remember exactly. the exact restaurant. I should be able to. Since, I, since I spent 13 years in Portland and four years in Seattle, of course, inquiry minds want to know. But I'm sure I probably didn't know the restaurant. But about well, what I'm sure at the time. It was, that was probably in the early 90s. The early 90s. Very okay. shishi, okay. you know, seafood restaurant. Okay. I would have been there, or at least in that area. Okay. Well. Sorry you weren't with us that I, night, so I, you could have watched the sea urchin dance, dance its last dance. Would have been great gobs of fun. So was it good when you finally got Fabulous. it? Fabulous. Really? Fa- well, it was a bisque. What does it taste like? Well, sea urchin just tastes like, you know, the ocean. It's just this little salty, kind of fleshy mm. taste. Mm. Um, you know, and, and of course, the, the, the hot bisque that was poured over it, basically cooked okay as it went mm-hmm. and so it was just kind of like a morsel in the in the bisque how interesting now i that makes me have to ask i have to imagine that you've been served things over the years that couldn't have been palatable always no no not every never had anything that you just like oh my gosh this is awful what do i do with this well i have I've had the, there's, I'm very lucky there. I have virtually no uh, allergies. That is wonderful. At least food allergies. Mm-hmm. And I have a very welcoming palate. There's just very few things that I don't like. Um, but one of them is really, you know, seafood, you know, like smoked oysters out of a can or sardines yeah. out of a can. Fresh yeah. sardines, fine. So I really have trouble with those kind of okay. smoky, oily foods. I'm not a huge fan of eel. Okay. But really, that that's about <laughs> it. That's about it, you know? And you choose what you're going to eat anyway. It's not like you're, you're eating what they bring you, correct? In most cases, although, you know, sometimes at a seated event, you may not be ordering you may be just getting what they think you know you as a food writer food interested food obsessed person would like to experience and those that's always great i you know one of the only things that i really felt guilty about eating once was a bear claw and it was in a soup and it was just this really rich soup but it was this bear claw that, that was wrapped in gold leaf Wow. And I, the gold didn't bother me, but I did feel bad about that bear. Yeah, I suppose so. 
And was that here in Texas? No, good. It was here in Texas. Oh, really? The chef was Victor Jalise, who, this was many years ago, had a wonderful restaurant in our local Les Dames de Scaffier organization, yes, had our annual it. dinner there, and uh, Victor gave us bear claw soup. I've never heard of this. Of course, I, I, while I am an excellent eater, I do not think I'm an adventuresome eater. So some of this might have been hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> I might have been pushing things aside and putting things on your plate if I were with you at these events. Maybe not. Maybe well, not. Yes, you might have. And, and, and that's okay. Right, that's okay. Now, a bear claw soup would probably be outside of my, my area. I did have brain in Chile. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting. I was proud of myself for trying it and then moved promptly on. Have you, uh, did you try the uh, guinea pig when you were in Peru? Uh, no, I've, I haven't been to Peru yet. I've been through most of South America, but not Peru yet. Well, when you do, if you go up high in the mountains, you will have the opportunity to eat mm, guinea pig. Interesting. Which is sort of like a really small pig. Yeah. They don't call them little guinea pigs for nothing, but mm-hmm. apparently up there people... Mm. It's a great way to have a source of protein that you can raise in your house. Mm-hmm. And so people tend to have mm. little herds of guinea pigs on their dirt floor houses. And, you know, when the family needs some protein, we have a guinea pig. I will not tell my daughter that, who is an, an avid fan of all things small and Probably cute and fuzzy. Not. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, well, let's move on to your cookbooks. Okay. You only got nine of them. They started with the chili one, obviously. Started with that the was chili your first cookbook. one that you birthed here. So let's talk about some of those. Are there any that really stand out that you just love one over the other, or any fun stories about how any of them came into existence? Well, the one that's actually was reissued a couple of years ago. It was the it first came out in nineteen eighty seven, I believe, the Texas Holiday Cookbook. And it is devoted mm. to recipes and stories about the Texas you know, Texas recipes, holiday stories, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, and New Year's. Mm-hmm. And the book did very well. And so I added a chapter or two and kind of revamped it a couple of years ago. And the second edition of the Texas Holiday Cookbook came out. And I love that because, A, it's got really traditional Texas recipes, you know, for turkey and dressing and, you know, fried quail and, you know, a lot of game in that book, as well as, you know, brisket and barbecue and all the kind of stuff that gets served for holidays. You know, that kind of food is perfect for the New Year's holiday or even uh, New Year's Eve. So there's there's just lots of things that you could serve. But I love that also because I have lots of stories in it from people who contributed recipes about how they served that dish or, you know, how they came up with the recipe. Like the the uh, mashed potatoes in there that I serve every Thanksgiving, which nobody will sit down without. The friend, me. The friend who uh, gave me that recipe told me would when about it she says you know we've always made our mashed potatoes this year and she said I don't know how this happened one year but we were getting ready to sit down and we realized that no one had made the mashed potatoes so we picked everything up off the table and kept it warm until we got these mashed potatoes and the secret to these is that they have cream cheese whipped into them Interesting. I've, I've done sour cream, never cream cheese. Well, cream cheese gives them enough lift mm-hmm. so that if you make them the day before and then reheat them, mm-hmm. they're not gummy. Mm-hmm. 
cream cheese is just a beautiful thing to add to your mashed mm. potatoes. And of course, you know, I have some a little bit of sour cream, some cream, some butter, and of course the cream cheese to give it lift. So it's extremely healthy and very low calorie. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Everything tasty must have those kinds of things in it, right? Well, it's for the holidays. You know, I don't make mashed potatoes that way every day, but if you're making them for a big crowd and you want a big pot of it to stand up, those will keep their fluff. Mm. I'm going to try that this next time. I, I tend to use sour cream. I'm going to I'm going to work in a bit of cream cheese. Okay. Okay, so what's your latest cookbook, the, the last one that you have out? And then I, I do want to talk about the ones that you're currently working on, but what's the last one well, you have Well, the, the revision of the, the revision. Texas Holiday Cookbook is my most recent one. I added three chapters to it. Oh. Uh, when I first wrote the book, the Texas wine industry was fairly new, and there virtually was no Texas craft beer industry. In mm-hmm. the interim, as we all know, the Texas wine industry is go- growing and blowing, and the Texas craft beer industry has just exploded yes. and has become a real force. Yes. So that was a really fun chapter to add. And then I added a whole chapter of chefs' recipes and stories about their favorite holiday recipes, and that was a great fun. And then I added a whole chapter on shortcuts, ways to really make the holidays go easier and faster. When I first wrote that book, everybody kind of thought, oh, if you don't cook everything from scratch, you're cheating. Right. Well, now, you know, the way I see it, if you've dirtied a dish, you've cooked. Yes, I agree. So, and pick your battles. By If you just want to cook one thing, that's fine. Cook that one thing and have the rest be takeout. I don't care. Got it. I love that. I want to get the book just for those three chapters. Okay, it's time for us to go on a short break here already. The time's going so quickly. I can't believe it. It's, it's evaporating. But I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with the lovely and talented Dottie Griffith, who is an author and speaker and the Queen of Texas Cuisine. Stay with us after the break. I want to hear more about some of her favorite Texas dishes and how maybe some of the secrets of making them. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Want more positivity in your life? Are you ready to get healthy, happy, and energized? Join the Stella Donna Goddess Gals, Cynthia Bryan, and Heather Brittany for a power hour of stimulating, supportive conversation on Star Style. Be the star you are. A lineup of best-selling authors, celebrities, and experts. Join the effervescent mother-daughter dynamic duo in this upbeat, positive, life-changing talk radio playground. 
Star Style. Be the star you are. Wednesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Lend us your ears. It's power time. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Donnie Griffith, who is an author and speaker here in Dallas, Texas, and my favorite title of all, the Queen of Texas Cuisine. <laughs> How fun is that? I want, a t- I want a fun title like that. So before the break, she was talking about some of her experiences of, of being a, f- a restaurant critic and also uh, some of her cookbooks, what she's been doing with those. What I'd love to hear next, Dottie, is I'd love to hear you talk about maybe some of the recipes that you really love to, to cook and why, especially those that really are Texas. Now I know there are five, what do you say, components yeah. or contributions to Texas cuisine, but share with us some of those fun things that you love to cook and why. Well, I love to cook chicken fried steak. Mm, of course, but of course. Um, you know, it's sort of almost becoming a lost art mm-hmm. and really in a lot of ways. So many places that still serve it don't really start it from scratch. They don't pound some round steak. They don't, you know, put it in an egg wash and flour it and then fry it. They just pull it out of the freezer, pre-bread it and fry it. And I understand that if you're the restaurant, but that isn't what chicken fried steak's about. (laughs) And so, what is it about? What is well, it's really it's it's really about being fresh out of the the fryer, and then it's of course about the gravy that you make Mm -hmm. that goes on it, and it's just not the same if it's pre-breaded and frozen and thrown into the deep fryer like that. It's just you know it doesn't have loving hands on it, right? and, And you know. So I, I, you know, you know, and certainly that is not something you make every day, but uh, or about once day. a year, about once a year, I gear up. Especially, I, I'm a hunter, and I love to do chicken fried venison steak, which you're, is great. My kids love that. So you're a we, hunter. Yes, you're out there with a gun and you're shooting animals down. That's uh-huh. interesting. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying to get that image in my mind. I got it. Okay. So I, you know, there I have a. Well, I grew up in a hunting family, so I, I came by this honestly. But it's it's really something that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Multi-talented. <laughs> and uh, one of the other things, about once a year, I have to fry chicken therapeutically. <laughs> okay. It's just like I want to, I love to stand there and just fry chicken for a while. Mm-hmm. So I do that. And once again, it's about the gravy and the fact that, you know, your kids or your family or your friends around and everybody gets so excited waiting for this to happen because it takes a while and they, mm-hmm. everybody can mm-hmm. smell it and people come by and talk to you while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, can I grab one? And it, it's just fun to do. I love to smoke. I love to barbecue and yep. smoke. I love to do a brisket. You mentioned yep. doing brisket. Mm-hmm. Love to do some ribs now and then. Um, and that was one of my cookbooks. In fact, I brought you a copy Thank of my you. book, Celebrating Barbecue, which is all about barbecue. Um, I love to do um, Texas vegetables. 
What does that mean? Like what kind of texture of vegetables? Well, I love to do just about anything with okra or okay. black-eyed peas. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love to do them because you don't, I grew up in a, most of us my age grew up in a culture where we thought you had to overcook everything or yes. it was somehow going to kill you. Yes. And so I take great <laughs> pride in loving to have, you know, sort of crisp, tender okra. You don't have to cook them until they're slimy and mm-hmm. nasty. Mm-hmm. It's great to just flash mm. uh, greens or spinach or, or something like that. You don't have to cook it till it's mushy. Yeah. So I, I love my Texas vegetables. And, of course, this time of year... Uh, Texas tomatoes, right, right. Texas peaches. peaches. Oh, I've got this. This book has a great recipe for peach cobbler, which is really good with good old Weatherford peaches or Fredericksburg peaches from from Texas. And what makes for a great cobbler? I made a Greek crisp for the Fourth of July. What makes for for a great cobbler? Well, the secret to this cobbler is that it's a two crust cobbler, but one of the crust is not where you expect it to be. I don't line the bottom of the pan. I put the filling in about halfway and then put a layer of crust Mm. on that and Mm. par-bake that until it's a little bit crispy. Then I put the second layer of filling and the second crust on it and cook it all the way through. Mm. And that gives you two layers of crispy crust, Mm. not one crispy crust on top and one soggy one on the bottom. Mm -hmm. I have never heard of that before, Donnie. That is so cool. Well, add it to your repertoire. It is great. I love it. we can ever eat Bluebell again. I know. I'm waiting for Bluebell to come back to you. We know. love you, Bluebell. We come love back. you. I, yeah. <laughs> um, so somebody who who is didn't come by Texas naturally, or if you will, honestly, <laughs> I, I got here as quick as I could as the saying comes. Um, what are some recipes that you would say, these are just must-do Texas recipes. Got to do them. If you're going to be in Texas, you got to try this stuff. Well, y- you really do need to make, learn to make chili. Okay. And you do with beans or without beans? Without beans. Without beans. It's oh yes, yes. And you need to learn to make it without hamburger meat. You have to learn to the grocery stores here do what we call chili grind, which is a really coarse grind of beef. Or you can cut your your chuck roast or whatever into cubes and cook it that way. I like to do a mix of the chili grind, the coarse grind, with some ground meat because then the ground meat just kind of dissolves in it Mm -hmm. and gives the the sauce around the chili really thickness and really meaty flavor. Mm -hmm. But you really do need to learn to make Texas-style chili. And then if you want beans, they're on the side and you can add them to it, oh. but real Texas chili doesn't have beans in it, oh. or isn't cooked in it. You can mix it. It's sort of an add-on, like the, the grated cheese and the onions and whatever else you mm. like to put on your chili. So clearly I'm not a Texan yet because I'm still making chili with beans, ground beef, and a lot of tomatoes. Oh, and skip the tomatoes. See, I'm failing all the way around. Okay. All right, what else? If, if we're coming to Texas and we want to make sure, like, we know what we're doing here, what else will we make? Well, you really do need to learn to do a steak, to char yeah, a steak properly. on the grill. Oh, yes. Uh, get it, you know, nice and hot so you can uh, char the outside and leave the inside medium rare. Okay. And if you don't like to eat steak medium rare, you really need to learn to because <laughs> you've never really tasted good meat. Until you've tasted it medium rare. Mm-hmm. If, if you think it needs to be gray and tough all the way through, then that's what it tastes like, mm-hmm. gray and tough. Mm-hmm. 
And you just need to learn to appreciate your beef with some pink in it. <laughs> I'm with you, sister. I can, I can appreciate my beef with some pink in it. Um, and, and for those people that are worried, maybe they're worried that it's not healthy that way. Is there? Can we set their fears well, aside now, somehow? There is some concern if you have ground beef that's too rare because okay. there can be some contamination. But a, okay. a, a whole mu- piece of muscle meat is not going to have contamination within the cut. I mean, the outside might be contaminated either from cross contamination or if god forbid somebody let it spoil Mm -hmm. but inside the meat is going to be fine okay so uh if you're confident that the piece of meat on the outside is good for you to eat is safe then the inside's going to be fine okay because you've charred the outside Mm -hmm. okay well and just because the inside of that muscle is not going to have any contamination except that came through the outside okay okay well, I would love to grill more on all of your favorite dishes, but I do want to make sure and hear about these two latest cooking projects you're working on here and who you're working on them with and all that kind of good stuff. When do they do out? Well, the uh, Enchilada Queen cookbook with, uh, that I'm working on with Sylvia's, Sylvia Casaras, who has the Enchilada Kitchens in uh, Houston, it will be out about a, year, a little over a year from now, probably fall of 16. Okay. And uh, her book is great. She grew up in Brownsville, so she really gets the flavor and the nuances of Rio Grande Mexican cuisine, Mm -hmm. which is wonderful because there's so much Mexican influence. There's Mm -hmm. Mm Tex-Mex, and then there's Mex-Mex down there. And uh, her restaurants in Houston just have a huge, huge following. And she specializes in enchiladas, Mm. which... Most Tex-Mex res- uh, restaurants have them, but don't necessarily specialize in them. They may specialize in fajitas and all these other things, but nothing is more basic to great Tex-Mex than a really good enchilada, mm-hmm. and Sylvia does it. She has 14 sauces that she uses for various kinds of wow. enchiladas that she makes every day in all of her restaurants. So they're really fresh, and they're everything from a really traditional Tex-Mex chili gravy to a, a, a Mexican salsa verde. And they go on all the different kinds mm. of enchiladas, and they're fabulous. And so that really is the heart of the book is her enchilada recipes and how she seasons a tortilla before she rolls oh. the... the uh, the meat or the filling in it. It's a lot of people just may pass it through, you know, some hot oil Mm -hmm. or even in some of the sauce. No, she marinates it in a kind of a broth that's seasoned with chilies, pulls it out of there and then runs it through the, um, the hot oil before she wraps it. And that gives it a beautiful color and a beautiful Mm. taste way beyond just a plain tortilla. So Mm -hmm. she really makes filling a tortilla about a three-step process. Wow. I've never made enchiladas before, but they are my favorite thing to eat in terms of a Mexican restaurant. They are. They're great. And, you know, I will say, unless you're just dying to learn to make them, why would anybody make them? Unless you can make them like Sylvia. Because really? you can get them out so easy. <laughs> They're so much easier to order <laughs> than they are to make. Somebody else makes them, yes. I'm, I'm with you on that. Comes with a margarita, yes. Yeah. Okay. 
So fall 2016. Fall 2016. Then the other project that I'm working on, Kent Rathbun is one of Dallas' best-known chefs and certainly is one of, uh, not only just in Dallas, but nationally and internationally. Kent's first restaurant here was Abacus, and he's got Jasper's now with locations in several cities. And this will be his first cookbook. So we are finishing up his proposal. And I know that when it uh, we get this proposal done, it will be quickly devoured by some brilliant publisher. And I suspect it will be out probably in um, spring, spring or fall 2017. Okay. Wow, how much fun. It must be amazing to actually birth a cookbook. I'm writing a book now around, around my research around meaning and work, but the actual process, you've got nine cookbooks out and two in the works. It must be amazing just to be able to see this thing in your hands. I, you know, like all writing, it's sort of like running. It feels so much better when you're done. <laughs> suppose so. <laughs> I used to run marathons and, and a lot of 10Ks and yeah, I enjoyed it. But yeah, really, you really feel like you've accomplished something when you're done and, right. and it sure does feel good to stop. <laughs> getcha. Well, we're coming to the, the, the close of the hour here and I really want to give you a chance to, to say any final things you might want to share with our listeners, with, with any but me, anybody else. Last pearls of wisdom in that mind of yours. Well, I, you know, I guess I'll go back to sort of the theme of your show and what we talked about, which was recognizing the opportunities when they come. Mm-hmm. You may not think of something first as an opportunity, but really look it over. I think I'm sort of one of those cosmic people that thinks that something that comes at you like that, you really need to take a look at and think because mm-hmm. it it wants you to grab it. Yeah. It wants you to grab it. May have been not what you were looking for or when you when you first saw it you thought, nah. But if it keeps coming at you like that, give it a real yeah. hard look. See if there isn't really something in there that has your name on it. Because chances are somebody else has seen a talent in you that maybe you didn't see. Right. Yeah. Beautiful way to finish, Dottie. That I love that, and I would have queued that up. If you didn't say that, I would have queued that up because that, your to me, your career exemplifies what you just said. That, and that's how we met. We met in a bar. We were we were going through, I think, Houston or whatever, and I seized the opportunity to talk with her, and then here she is on the show. So, Dottie, thank you so so much for being on the show. You have been a wonderful guest. Pleasure. Thank you. I knew you would be. So next week, we will be on the air with uh, Stefan Wen, who will be joining us from Los Angeles. And he's going to talk about his lifelong fascination and career in innovation, business startups, and entrepreneurship. So I hope you'll stay with us for that as well. And remember that work is one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.